Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader. Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, the podcast designed to simplify the complex job of managing and leading people. And our goal with every podcast is to share at least one proven business practice that will help you build a more sustainable and profitable and hopefully purpose-driven company. Our guest today, my descriptive words for her, she's very creative. She's extremely patient, but she's also amazingly relentless in her pursuit of whatever she wants to go after. You will not meet somebody uh, who has a greater uh, a capacity to envision the future and see what is not present that could be that really would be beneficial to all parties involved. I think if there's uh, ever if you looked up the term velvet hammer in the dictionary, you would see this person's face and smiling face and such a such a special gal and a special friend, and I'm so glad she's joining us. Please help me welcome Sue Ludwig to the Ed Epley Experience. Welcome, Sue. Thank you, Ed. Thanks for inviting me. Sue is the founder, and um, I, I, I guess are you considered executive director or CEO or what's the title that that goes with the NAT uh, National Association of Neonatal Therapists? Uh, president and founder. First of all. I think to be safe, probably everybody's heard the term neonatal and and heard therapist, but what does NICU and uh, the whole neonatal thing mean? And and give our audience some some basic definitions so they know the world in which you operate. The NICU or the NICU is the neonatal intensive care unit. So that is where either premature babies or babies that need special medical or surgical attention go after birth. So that is the environment in which we work in. And then as therapists, uh, we're not involved in the life and death saving of babies. Instead, our focus is on development and neurodevelopment. So we are there to improve their quality of life and not wait until way later. So we have a very preventative model in the neonatal intensive care unit. Well, first of all, what got you into the that, that specialized uh, part of the healthcare industry? Because that's I'm sure that's that's a carries an an emotional baggage with it dealing with those kinds of kids. Yeah, yes, it is a stressful environment and very emotional environment. And I I got into it sort of by accident in that I was asked to kind of back, be the backup therapist for that unit before I knew anything about it. And then the moment I was in there, I fell in love with the babies and the environment, and it was just a whole world that I hadn't known anything about. But I I did have three niece and nephews that were premature as well. So I'd been kind of paying attention all along, but didn't know that I would find myself there. What was your education that led you to to get into the NICU in in itself? What were you doing? Uh, I'm an occupational therapist by education and training, and I'm still a licensed occupational therapist. And the other therapists in our organization are physical therapists and speech language pathologists. So our organization serves all three of those specialties who then specialize in the NICU. All right. So that gives us kind of a context. And by the way, I've seen your website now probably two, three times, and it seems like it's constantly being updated, uh, upgraded. The the latest version that I got to look at recently, it's very impressive. But the story that you tell there about how it even that uh, Nant came came about is a a good one. Would you tell us quickly what that's about? 
Yeah. So I was uh, an occupational therapist in the NICU in Cincinnati. I uh, worked there for over 20 years and a couple things as one, as I was really, you know, sitting with a mom one day and thinking in the NICU and thinking that, wow, I bet, I bet she sure thinks that therapists like me had this really specific path and specific education related to this environment and that the hospital has made sure that, you know, we know what we're doing. And I had been consulting around the country for several years by then and to other NICUs. And I understood that while therapists were working in the NICU for since the 70s, that there wasn't really a clear path or a set of foundational education for us. And I knew that therapists wanted better than that, but I sure knew that uh, we parents and babies deserved better than that. And that thought started to bother me, you know, and keep me up at night and things like, what could we be doing better than this? And I knew it involved some sort of connection because we were all in silos all over the country, not knowing what each other were doing. I know in the conversations that we've taken part in about this journey that I was just shocked that there was no standard prior to Nant about what NICUs did when the therapists did in the NICU and that the literally from shift to shift, the, the therapy could be different and the treatment could be radically different. And that I just, I was dumbfounded at that. And so one, it begs the question, I wonder what other parts of healthcare there still might be that issue. But then secondly, there was clearly a need that was, was out there that you recognized and, and you went ahead and tried to fill it. And so when did you start the, uh, the organization? When did you start NAND? Uh, in 2009. Okay. And was it pretty smooth sailing or did you get a lot of pushback or what was the response initially? Uh, I, I assume anytime the healthcare organizations get a new a set of criteria that they've got to manage, there, there was probably, we don't want to fool with this. You can, go away, be nice little girl and don't, don't bother me kind of a thing. Pat you on the head, patronize you. Was, was there a lot of that or not? There wasn't too much of that, but there was there was certainly a, you know, we're a small group, meaning compared to nurses, compared to other, you know, it's a niche significantly. And so when I started it, there was this just slow, I would say, slow growth of just kind of building the list. There was no list to buy. There was no list to get. There was, you know, it was all from scratch. And uh, we did have some initial chunk of members that were the brave people that joined right away. And, and that, the early adopters for sure. And they still, they're still great partners with us. And, and then I, I quickly discovered in, in 2010 that we would need to do something other than have just membership. We had great benefits for our members, but we needed connection. And so in, I decided to have a national conference before, <laughs> way before we thought we were ready. And so we planned that for 2011 with zero point zero dollars really in the budget you know whatever whatever we had from people signing up is what we had and uh but when we we had been building that list for a year and and really listening to them and when we opened the doors for that event it sold out in four hours and so we were like ah this is this is part of the missing piece is they want to be together so that event has grown you know over the years uh, our annual national conference and and uh, that really helped spur us on We've gotten a little pushback from our parent organizations in the beginning, but not so much. Really, they've they've been very supportive, uh, meaning the big occupational therapy, physical therapy, and speech therapy giant organizations. Uh, but we've been been now um, 
in some ways, they're very happy to have somewhere to direct all the people that are interested in the NICU because it is a, such a small niche for them. Can you give us some sense, sense of the scale, the numbers of uh, how many NICU therapists are there and, and how many are members of NAT, if you don't mind? Yeah, so we have about 1,500 members from over 20 countries now. And the upside is we're not sure how many of us there really are in the world. Um, but we think that, you know, there there's a, well, because we started serving this international audience uh, as well. And so in the country, there, there are about 1300 NICUs period. So um, we know that there should be, depending on the size of the NICU, there could be one, there could be 15 therapists in the NICU. It really depends on the size of the NICU. The reason I'm, I'm posing these questions is, is uh, market share. And just from a business point of view, it's okay, what's the market and what, what, how far have we come at satisfying the needs? And, and have you, have, and my guess is since there wasn't somebody that was filling this need, you've, you filled it. But now I'm, I'm curious about, are you getting any competitors? Are there other organizations that are trying to now encroach on what you've created? A little bit. Uh, there, there is a one international or one other similar organization, I would say, in another country, but in the U.S., not so much. And so far in the U.S., uh, we don't have a direct competitor. Okay. Do you worry about it? Is that something that keeps you up at night or uh, would you welcome it? Would you welcome comp competition? I, I mean, I, I think competition usually makes everyone better, but but uh, at the same time, we are a niche and I would hate to further divide the, the um, efforts so I think what would be great is something complementary or something where we could certainly work to, towards something together more so than, the, than dividing uh, such a niche environment. You're listening to the Ed Epley Experience. Email Ed now with your questions for today's guest to podcast at theepleygroup.com. In his book, Let's Be Clear, Six Disciplines of Focused Management Pros, author Ed Epley breaks down key practices of professional management, how to implement them, and why it matters. Purchase your copy on Amazon.com today. Develop your competitive edge for the future while building a sustainable and thriving business. So what's been the biggest surprise along this journey? What has gone down that you either never saw coming or maybe it's a problem that you thought was going to be much bigger than there has been or you know, help us understand what, what's the, how, how things have played out versus what you thought they would? Yeah, I think, well, one continuous surprise to me is, is what a small group of people can do in the world when they really care about something. I think a lot of businesses or business mentors would have you think you have to have something really huge to make a difference. And I think we are really changing the landscape of, of this field uh, through this small team, through our, you know, um, small group of people across the, across the world. And I think one thing that's been personally surprising to me is just the journey itself, you know, going from, this is my 27th year in healthcare, but to go back and think, I mean, I never thought, I never saw it coming for myself, I think is number one. You know, I was very, fulfilled in my job as a neonatal therapist, I was consulting, et cetera, and certainly never, ever saw myself as a business person or, or really even a leader, to be honest. So, so that was the huge surprise for myself personally to become this, you know, fledgling entrepreneur 10 years ago and, and start into this world. So that that's been a huge surprise. And then 
I would say like most, a lot of people this, this year with COVID and, and we had a, you know, a national event planned for in person that this, that was something I could have, of course, never predicted having to deal with. Patrick Lencioni in his book, The Motive, talks about leaders take on that responsibility for one of two reasons. One's a reward based. It's, it signifies they've achieved something. And, and by the way, when you, when you are reward based leader, a lot of times you want to, don't want to do the things associated with the position. So you delegate those away. You're not that kind of person ever, Sue, in anything you do. So you're a a responsibility base, which means you're willing to do the hard things. But two things occur to me. One, people who are really good at a trade or craft, uh, clearly you were, I know you were very good as a therapist, but now you don't get to do that. Do you miss it? Uh, Because now you've taken on this responsibility to lead the, the, the development of therapists, and yet you don't get to be in the NIC unit in the way you were. So tell us about how that's affected you. Yeah, I, I kind of let go kicking and screaming eventually. I kept on as kind of as needed therapist for a long time, even after starting that. I finally officially gave that up in 2016, my clinical, full clinical role. And I miss it. I miss the babies tremendously. I miss the I miss my team that I worked with for all those years at the same hospital and the camaraderie and the friendships there. And there's things I don't miss about just the daily grind of of healthcare either, um, being there in person, but I do miss the patients and their families and my friends. But I would say, you know, it's what's been really rewarding or surprising is is kind of going from that one-to-one impact to the one-to-many impact. And you usually can't do both well. And, you know, it's hard to do both well. And so I've had to, you know, kind of lean into what it feels like to be able to serve many babies in a different way by choosing this path. And, and that, that has been pretty amazing to watch or feel. So, so the next question I was thinking about then in, in kind of knowing that you'd wrestled with this and successfully wrestled with it, I mean, the second part of responsibility to lead is you don't always get to do what what you would like to do with the organization because you'd now serve these different stakeholders, these different constituents. And and how do you manage, okay, you've got the hospitals that where the NICU exists and the therapists do their work. You've got the healthcare industry that and you know the providers and the payers. And then you also have the families. And and so how do you differentiate between all those different stakeholders and 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 come up with a, a common denominator of what we should do to be a, a really be serving all of our, our interested parties. That's to me, that's a tremendously complex model. Yes. There are a lot of, a lot of people involved and, and a lot of irons in the fire and, and things. And I think what we continually do is try to come back to what our mission is and who we're serving and what the big long-term vision is and say, if, if this isn't, if what we're doing or thinking about or, enacting, serving, isn't propelling the development of, you know, neurodevelopment of babies in the outcome, then it probably falls off the priority list. And so that comes, decides how we decide to educate, provide education, who it's for, who it's not for, which is sometimes tough, and who we are truly serving in the moment are the therapists with the the babies with the, you know, end in mind, that they're always the end in mind. And so that 
does provide a lot of clarity for us that we've had to just kind of come back in who, who our partners are, corporate partners and things like that. We have to be very discriminant and, you know, we all have to have this bigger mission in mind. And then we do, you know, have core values that we have developed to, you know, help guide us as well. You're a for-profit entity. You, you, and, and have you always, from day one, were you for-profit as an entity? Yes. Okay. How did you make that decision to go for-profit versus not-for-profit? That was a really tough decision because I think it's unusual for what we're doing. But basically, it came down to a couple things for me. One is that right or wrong, I my perception of if we were going to begin as a nonprofit entity were that it was going to take a long time to gather everybody in the room and decide exactly how we were going to do this. And, and that the interested parties may argue for a long time over whether we were going to serve these three professions that we chose, that I chose to serve, or whether we were going to try to hoard it all for one. And I, my vision was really to be collaborative in that way with the three disciplines, because I think uh, it served the mission best. And I felt like we could do it faster, whether that's right or wrong. No, no I'll, I'm going to jump in just in the interest of time. I have one other organization that's in the healthcare space uh, in a significant way, and that's NECO, which is the foster care company based also in Cincinnati. And they are for profit in their uh, structure. And one of the reasons they chose that was because they didn't want to have to spend a lot of time trying to raise money to be able to fulfill their mission and purpose and no regrets at all fr- from them about going about that. And, 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 and looking back, do you, I mean, do you ever see a time where you would go to not-for-profit status or for, for as far as you're concerned, this is the right model? I feel like for right now, it's the right model. And I feel very similar as what you just said. So we, I could see, we do have certification board that is under a NANT umbrella. And I could see that moving to a nonprofit at some point or other, another arm of NANT being nonprofit for sure. But for right now, this is this is where we're going to stay. I, I'm, I'm going to be so bold as to propose. I think you're going to see more and more social services kinds of entities recognize that if we can go to the for-profit model, um, we give ourselves so much more capacity to get traction quickly and to be able to make decisions and respond to the marketplace and, and just fulfill our, our purpose and more efficiently. I, I, I have, have other organizations reached out or potential organizations reached out to say, tell us about what you've done in, st- in your structure and governance and all those kinds of things. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And, and that for-profit model. And, you know, and I said it in the beginning, I, I also couldn't make myself want to get out of bed to, with the thought of like, I have to go raise money. Yeah. I, I wanted to get out of bed and go create something valuable that would serve the people and be lucky enough that they would pay us for it. Yeah. I get it. I completely get it. Well, I, I, uh, I, I just think it's wonderful that, that one, you w- were courageous enough to take that model on. And then number two, that it's been very, you know, it's validated that it's, that it works because again, most organizations have great intentions that serve others. The motives are great, but they don't have a lot of business acumen. And as a result, uh, so much money is wasted, so much energy and, and, uh, time, are not utilized well. And anything you can do to change your structure that lets that not happen is probably in everybody's best interest. So hats off to you for seeing that and, and going down that path. You mentioned the, uh, you know, your national, I guess your annual big event 
had to go virtual this year instead of face-to-face. Have there any, been other big impacts because of the COVID crisis? For our organization, I would say that has so far been the biggest, but our members have certainly also had to deal with things in their everyday lives, you know, at work, you know, different ability to allow parent interaction inside the NICU, uh, you know, with different restrictions in different hospitals, you know, and some of their time was cut back in some units and some of their time was expanded in others. Some of the units, they were pulled to see adult patients, which many, some of them never have in their lives. So, uh, so all kinds of different impacts in their daily lives. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. You're a big enough thinker and you're still a very young person, but have you thought about your exit strategy for the, for this enterprise and, you know, how do you get out of this? <laughs> <laughs> about this much. Yeah. I mean, I, I have given thought to it. Nothing I probably would share yet, but I have, I have thought about, you know, just mostly the timeline for that. And, you know, uh, and just that I have to do it well, you know, I have to be very, very conscientious and responsible in, in how we pass this along. You're too modest to probably even acknowledge what I'm about to say, but but normally founders, entrepreneurs, and I don't know, again, you. I think you may think of yourself as an entrepreneur today, but I'm guessing nine, 10 years ago, you didn't. And, and, and most entrepreneurs, when you try to replace them, they're not replaced by a person. It's you're a bit of a unicorn. I think you'd agree with that in in the positive sense, right? I, I think so. In a in the organizational sense, this is not how it usually goes down. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and so the whole idea that there would be an individual who would step into the role that you have and do all that you do or bring all that you bring to the organization is probably not likely. So I don't know who's on your board, but man, they, they really need to be thinking about probably not one person, but a couple of people that are going to have to come on to take over or fill the fill the different things you do for the organization and and do it. But one of the problems is that entrepreneurs make certain things look effortless. They they it's intuitive for them to do these certain things. And as a result, when somebody else takes it on and it's like, this is not easy. I don't know how she did that because she just did it and it worked really well. But when I try to replicate it, it doesn't happen that easy. So I, I, I think, I don't know if, if you've started those conversations with your board or, or whoever you, you get your governance from, but I, I, that would be my advice to them. Any thoughts to, to what I just said? Yeah, I think you're right in that uh, we, we do have a great team in place now, uh, but certainly no one who is, you know, we're, we're not, don't have someone earmarked, you know, to be me, so to speak. But what we what we are trying to do well is is we our values and our everything through everybody that we hire through everybody that even volunteers for us, and we also developed a leadership program for our organization that myself and my vice president created and run, and some of that is to not only provide them with that opportunity but but to say who who has that same spirit. They kind of say, raise your hand. I, I want to grow beyond my clinical skills. And, and so that's been a really interesting place to help us put out the certain kind of leadership we we want and see who comes to that. So, so that's been a great rich soil for future leaders as well. I got to ask you one more question. I, there's two, two questions to follow, but one I want to still put in here. How do you keep score? It's, uh, it's, I'm assuming it's not financial. 
but but maybe it is. Well, what's the what's the scoreboard look like for Nant? Yeah, I think financial. We just have to you know keep the ship running. Is my feeling on that. But but the real score for us is impact, and what what we would define as impact is you know how many members do we have so that we can keep serving them and growing the foundational knowledge in these therapists so that they can do the right thing uh, when they're at work for the babies. So we focus on that type of impact. And, you know, I think we've, when we just did our keynote at our annual event, we, I think we've had over 3,700 people attend our event over the years. And most significantly in just in the past year, our members alone have probably, we think have treated about 219,000 babies in the NICU. In one year. And yeah, if you count all of our members and how many babies they've seen over, you know, just one year's time. And so that that to us is that's the impact of and that's how we would describe winning is that we're pre- better preparing those therapists for the, the thousands hundreds of thousands of babies across the world and that is like worth getting up for every single day so that's that's how we define impact yeah <laughs> and now you put it in those terms it's like how can you even bother going to sleep <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah Take a day off. I'd feel guilty if I went on vacation if I thought about the the that 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 kind of stakeholders that you have. Well, we always promise our uh, our audience that they'll get one proven idea that will help them run a more sustainable and scalable, successful organization. So, what's your gotta do if if somebody's a executive, an owner, a president, uh, uh, even a manager in an organization, and then and they're looking for one thing to know for sure that it would. Uh, probably be in their best interest to do. What what would that advice be for them, Sue? Well, I feel like my best advice would be to build into yourself as a leader because I feel like the ripple effect is staggering. And whether it, within your own team and then how you are out in the world. and And I feel like it's a very stunningly hard thing to have the privilege and responsibility of leading. And so I think the more that you become aware of your own self and your effect on other people, the more traction your, your business will have, the more you'll retain people in it and, and grow it, you know, and, and then building that in, in your other team members as well. Do you, do you have a ritual or a a system that you use for your continued development? Do you, do you uh, rely on a particular method to continue your development? Uh, Well, I read voraciously everything about leadership from very different types of people. Uh, And then I, and then I also always have a business coach because I feel like it's, you know, you can't see yourself and, you know, I just need someone who's ahead of me or step different than me to, to be helping me evaluate my own skills and get better. Have you always used the same coach or do you, have you switched a couple of times? Yeah, I've switched over the years a a few times. Yes. How did you know when it was time to switch? Uh, I think different coaches bring different skill sets. And, you know, for example, one time when I switched was just, I felt like I was moving to needing coaching as an entrepreneur to needing someone to help me understand how to run a team. And that was a very different feeling for me to make that transition. And I needed someone who was running big teams, you know, and things to give me that type of insight. Great. I know that's going to be helpful to a lot of people listening because 
one, it's to just start with a coach, but then recognize that the same coach is probably not the right person to get you along in your journey based upon what you and the organization are facing. You know, Sue, our time's up. Uh, you've you've more than exceeded expectations. I know our audience is going to want to know how to get in touch with you. So what's the best way if they want to learn more about you or Nant? Um, and, and by the way, she's got a book coming out, folks, in the not-too-distant future. So, Sue, what's the right way for people to reach you? I think the the best way for people to reach me is just at info at neonatal therapists with an S on the end.com. That'll be the fastest way to reach me. And uh, they will make sure a team will make sure I get your email. When is the book due? Do you have a, a, a release date yet? Do you know? My goal is it would be out in 2021, but I'll keep you posted. <laughs> okay. All right. So it's, it's- it's a little bit it's a little bit out there. If you want any information about Ed Epley or organizational health and professional management, best way to reach me is at the EppleyGroup.com. Uh, that's E-P-P-L-E-Y, all one word, the EppleyGroup.com. And you can get my book, Let's Be Clear There. And if you want to reach out and just talk or take the free assessment we have about your professional management and leadership skills, you can do that. But one more time, let's thank Sue. Sue, thank you. And I hope to see you soon and learn more about uh, how things are progressing for you and Nan. All right. Thank you, Ed. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs. That's theepleygroup.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills.